Amen. I love the line in that song. It says, you see the depths of my heart and you love me the same. You know, and, and people that are, are aware of what's in their hearts really rejoice over that part. Jeremiah 17, 7 will say it this way, that the heart is deceitful. It is sick. It is desperately sick. So when you understand the fact that your heart is desperately sick, but yet God looks down, sees the depths of that sin and says, I love him. That should make you rejoice. Well, welcome to Epiphany Church. It is a good, good Sunday to be here. Happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers. Uh, I saw some of you. If you could, if you're a mother, if you could just wave your hand in the room. Amen. Let's thank God again for our mothers. Amen. Such a spe- special day to celebrate them. They really, you know, honestly, man, we, we don't do enough for our mothers. It shouldn't just be on Mother's Day that we celebrate them, but we do celebrate you today. Uh, I, I will say that I approach this sacred desk this morning realizing that it is a complicated day. We want to celebrate our moms, but it is a complicated day uh, because the reality is some of you had amazing moms growing up, and some of you are on the opposite end of that. You had dysfunctional homes growing up, and you know the thought of your mother brings up such deepness and, 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 uh, and hurt in your heart. And so that's two different people that are all approaching Mother's Day. Some of you are, uh, have support from dad in, in your, your child's life, and some of you are a single parent. You are a single mom, and you don't have support. Some of you wish you could be moms, and the Lord hasn't opened up that door yet. Some of you lost your mom way too soon. But all of us have those emotions, and we all come together on this day to celebrate Mother's Day. Uh, but one of the things you know I love about the Word of God is wherever you sit on the spectrum of what I just said, The word of God is able to tap into and engage our emotions. So I'm excited about preaching the word. Why don't you grab your Bibles, uh, your devices, your iPads, whatever you have. If you could grab it for me and open up to 1 1 Kings 3. Thanks, Bevan. 1 Kings 3 is where we'll be. Of course, we're taking a slight detour. I know you see Habakkuk up here. and We've been going through the book of Habakkuk. But due to Mother's Day, I want to honor our mothers through the word of God. And so we're we're going to be in 1 Kings 3 and see what the Lord will say. If you get there, if you could say amen. Amen. If you are still flipping around or trying to get there on your phone, just say hold up. All right. All right. We'll wait a minute. 1 Kings 3. Once you get there, just just pick me up at verse verse 16. That's where we're going to be. Here's what it says. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one said, oh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth and we were alone. You should underline that phrase because that is going to become very important. And there was no one else in the house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I arose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other but the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Verse 23. Then the king said, 
The one says, this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. The other says, no, but your son is dead and my son is living. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. The king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, O Lord, O my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall neither be mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. I want to preach today from the topic, lifting up the last four words of verse 27. She is his mother. Let us look to the Lord. Father, we are grateful today for every mother that is in this room. We celebrate them today. We will never, ever know the sacrifice, Lord, that that they have made in order to hold us down. We are grateful for them. And as we celebrate them today, I pray that your word would rest on their hearts and encourage them. I also pray for conviction in this room. I pray that as, as, as those that are not mothers and those that are men in this room, I pray that we wouldn't check out today, but that we would dial deeply into the word of God. Woe well, unto me if I preach not the gospel. Give me strength, give me clarity, give me boldness to proclaim your word. And I pray that Jesus would be highlighted in our scriptures because even he said that all the scriptures point to me and they all find their fulfillment in me. It is in Christ's name and Christ's name alone we pray. Amen. Amen. She is his mother. One of the greatest days of my life was the birth of my firstborn son. It's the greatest day of my life. I'll never forget that feeling of seeing him for the first time. And you know how we excited, you know, parents do when the nurse comes in and says, you know, do you want the infant to stay in the room with you overnight or do you want him to stay in the nursery? We were always like, yeah, put him in the room, put him in the room with us. And we usually wise up about the second one. We like, nah, put him in the nursery. In fact, you owe me for the first one, so put him in the nursery as well. But the reality is, the reality is, you know, um, what, one of the things I, I realized and that surprised me about having my son in a hospital was that you could press a button and the nurse would come. So if you wanted more rest, you press that button. It don't matter what time of night it is. You can press that button and the nurse would come and say, what would you like? If you needed more pampers, you could press that button and the nurse would come. If you needed milk, you could press that button and the nurse would come. Whatever you needed, baby wipes, the nurse would come. And, and you know, what? one of the toughest words I heard at the hospital was, it is time to go home. <laughs> and we get home and, you know, I, I have that moment when I'm at home where I realize there is no button to push anymore. We are actually now on our own. In fact, the first time we, our first son, I had him in a car seat and I brought the car seat and I put it in the middle of the room and in the living room and I'm sitting there going, okay, what are we supposed to do next? Because I realized in that moment that the hospital didn't send me home with a parenting manual, which is crazy because you buy a TV, you get a manual. You get a new car, you get a manual. You want to put furniture together, you get an instruction manual. But when you, one of the most important aspects of your life, you are not sent home with a manual. Now, the hospital might teach you how to change your pamper, but they do not teach you what to do when your teenage daughter shows up pregnant. The hospital might teach you how to feed the child, but one of the things they do not teach you is what to do when your son is running the streets and is disrespectful. 
They do not teach you what to do when your son is on drugs. They do not teach you what to do when your son is failing every class in school. But here's what I love about the word of God. The word of God today acts as our instruction manual. And through the word of God, what we get to see is not just parenting, but we get to see a good role model of what a godly mother looks like. We get to see motherhood in the text today. And if you'll you'll indulge me for a few moments and look at our text as I introduce you to a woman. Now, I cannot give her a proper introduction. A proper introduction would be to introduce her by name. But I cannot introduce her by name because the text does not give us her name. She is anonymous. We do not know who she is, which honestly is very consistent with the mothers in this room. What do I mean by that? Most of what you do as a mother will go anonymous. Most of what you do as a mother, we, will, we do not know the sacrifices that you have made for your child. And here's the thing. Some of you will die and go and be with the Lord if you've trusted in Jesus and will never know the sacrifices that you have made. And so you, your actions are just as anonymous as the woman in this text. But although I cannot introduce her by name, there are important details found in the text that I think show us how godly she is as a mother. Why don't you pick me back up in verse 16? We can't get far into verse 16 until we get introduced with one major detail. Here it is. Then two prostitutes. I don't think I have to give you the Greek behind what a prostitute is. I do not have to give you the Hebrew behind what a prostitute is. She is a woman that works the corner. She satisfies the sexual desires of a man in order to pay bills. This woman in the text, do not miss it, is a prostitute. But we don't only get let in on the fact that that she's a prostitute. We don't only know what she is. We know where she is. Look back at verse 16. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. Now, I I don't know, you know, how, how you wrestle with the text. But when I read this earlier this week, I was baffled. How in the world do you have a prostitute that is now standing before the king? We read texts like this and we run over it like it's common. This is not normal. There's nothing about this that is normal. This is King Solomon and a prostitute gets on the king's agenda. How does that happen? How in the world is this? Like, you know, the way my mind works with Bible study earlier this week when I read this text, I literally had to put it down and walk away and just contemplate. I was baffled. I I read it in my office. I walked out of my office and was going to the bathroom, and I was just thinking about, like, how in the world did she get an audience with the king? And Gabe was somewhere in the sanctuary, and he asked me a question. I legitimately did not even hear him ask the question because I was so deep in thought trying to figure out what in the world a prostitute, how in the world does she get this gig? And the reality is she gets it, Because of her persistency. She gets it because she is willing to press. This is Solomon, which is, can we agree Solomon probably has a busy schedule? Like he's defending the borders of Israel. If you remember anything about King Solomon, this is Solomon who was overseeing the building of the temple. This is King Solomon that is balancing the Israeli budget. This is Solomon that just became the king because his his dad died two chapters before. So can we agree that he probably has a busy schedule? How does a prostitute get on his schedule? Here's how. She pressed her way to get on. 
How do I know she pressed her way? Because protocol in the scriptures in order to meet with the leader of Israel was that you had to go through different levels. Here's how you know that. Because in Exodus 18, what we see is Moses meeting with everybody. Moses just meeting with people, no matter how big the case is, no matter how small the case is, Moses is meeting with everybody. And his father Jethro comes and says, this thing that you're doing is not good. You should not just be meeting with everybody. So here's what you do. Let's put some structure in place. Set up men of good repute that do not want to take a bribe. Set them up. Let them deal with the smaller cases and only the great cases will come to you. So in other words, if anything got to the leader of Israel, they had to press their way through the different levels in order to get to the king. Stay with me. This woman getting to the king means that she had to go through different levels and press her way to different levels to get to the king. And listen, this is the first example of godly mother right here. A woman that is willing to press her way no matter what it takes in order to get her child before the king. That's a godly mother. And so here's, here's what I'm trying to say. Show up at the parent-teacher conference, but don't stop at the parent-teacher conference. Show up at the precinct, but don't stop at the precinct. Show up at the principal's office, but do not stop at the principal's office. A godly mother knows that she doesn't stop until she's kneeling at the, the side of her bed praying to the king. That is a godly mother. And this mother here pressed her way. It didn't matter what was in her. It didn't matter who she had to meet with. She was going to get her case before the king. Why? Because the situation is life or death. She wants her child. She wants her baby. And a godly mother will do whatever it takes. Are there any godly mothers in here that are like, I'll do whatever it takes in order to make sure my child is put before the king? Are there any godly mothers? Let's put it this way. Some of you are only sitting in this room right now because you had a mama that prayed for you. When you didn't even know, when you was trifling, you was out there doing your thing, this mother prayed for you, and that's the only reason you're sitting in this room now. Godly mothers press their way. doesn't matter. And here, here's the thing. Most of you, listen, women, most of you mothers what you're doing will go unnoticed. Most of what you do will not be seen. But I am encouraging you this morning to keep pressing your way. I'll never forget the time my, my oldest son had a severe cold. I mean, the cold was severe. He, he was so congested that he could not breathe out of his nose. And, you know, we, I don't know if they have it now. You know, my, my kids are 14 and 12, so I don't know if they still have it. But back in the day, they used to have those little blue syringe sucky things that you suck out there. Y'all remember those things? They still got those? So they got their little blue things. It was nasty. You just see the snot like going up in it. And, and, you know, we were trying that. We had the napkin trying to do it and nothing. Like it was so congested that we could not get it out. And so my wife did the unthinkable. She put her thumb on one of his nostrils and she put her mouth on the other nostril and she sucked it. See, that's why, that's why I love mothers. Because if I was home alone, he would have went with the Lord that day. I'm just saying. If I was home by myself, I would have prayed him right to heaven that day. But my, but my wife did the unthinkable. Here's what she did. She did whatever she had to do to make sure her child lived. And most of you in here, you will do as a mother whatever you need to do 
to make sure that your child lives. And so this woman presses her way through different levels and talking to different other. This is not a government official. This is not a ruling judge. This is the king of Israel that she finally makes her way to. Now, when she makes her way to the, to the king, the Bible tells us that she tells him the situation. Look back with me at verse 16. Here's what verse 16 says. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, oh, my Lord, this woman. That's how you know she's a sister right there. She said, this woman. She says it twice. And I lived in the same house. And I gave birth to a child while she was living in the house. Then on the third day, I gave birth to. And then he says, this woman also gave birth. And we were alone. Do not miss that. There was no one else in the house with us. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid the dead son at my breast. What makes this woman think that this will actually work? Like she swaps babies. How does she like she should know that the other mother is going to be like, this ain't my child unless the two children looked alike. If the two kids looked alike, if they were identical, then I could see how she could conceive in her mind that the plan would work, that she'll switch the babies. You cannot switch a brown baby and a white baby. You can't do it because the mother's going to actually know right away. And so for the, for the mother to do this, she had to think that this will work because the kids have to have the same features, which suggests to me one or two things is going on in the text. Either... These two women in the text are sisters. Maybe they're sisters and they have the same features and so they both have children and the, the children have the same features because they're sisters. Or, I don't know if you're thinking what I'm thinking, they share the same baby daddy. And they are prostitutes, so it's very, it's very possible that they share the same father. They're living in the same house. Whoever's paying, they're both open for business. And so they could be sisters or they could share the same daddy. And that's why they have kids that look identical. But here, I don't want to add to the text. The Bible doesn't tell me that they're sharing the same father. So I don't want to add that. Here's what the Bible is telling me, though. The Bible is showing me that daddy ain't nowhere near to be around. You do not have a mention of a father in this text, which suggests to me that this, this woman, this mother is a single mother. And she's pressing her way as a single mother through different layers. And, you know, if you're a single mother in here today, we salute you. If you were raised by a single mother, you should honor her today. <laughs> text shows us. Text shows us that this woman in the text isn't only a good godly mother, isn't only a great example of a mother. The woman in the text is a single mother. And, and, you know, I, I don't just want to talk to single mothers. Let me, let me get on the men. You know, Ty got up here and she celebrated the women. I'm, I got to get on the men today. And the reason I got to get on us is because there is, you know, as a church, some of you men need to be so spiritually mature that if a single mother walks in the doors of this church, you assume spiritual father over the role of that child. But the problem is we're so isolated and we're still dealing with our own dysfunctions that we don't want to invest in another child. Who's going to take them to play basketball? 
Who's going to invest in his future? Who's going to tell him that ain't right? You shouldn't talk to her. She's not right for you. Who's going to do that if a spiritual father does not step up? And step up, you should be invested in the life of a child that doesn't have a father and not try to holler at his mother. We'll do it if we get benefits, right? I'll be the father if you want me to be. But, But the reality is we need spiritually mature men. We need men that look at those boys and say, you know what? I'm going to jump into their life and be like, are you, are you struggling with porn at all? See, this is real. But the problem is we can't ask somebody else if they're struggling with porn because you're too busy clicking around. And so I'm just trying to push it on our men. We need more spiritual fathers. You know how I want to go out of here? One day I want to get out of this world and I want to be like, I've invested my life into my two natural sons. And I got a whole bunch of spiritual sons that I've invested in. And I've poured my life in. We need more spiritual fathers. Single mothers coming in here and you watching her bring her baby in and take her baby out. And you have never said, can I take him to the park? Can I take him to play basketball? Can I take him to get some ice cream? We need more men. The woman in the text is a single mother. And she doesn't let her fact that the father is absent. She does not allow that to stop her from her persistency of trying to get to the king. She still goes through different layers. She still, and not only is she a good example because she is persistent, not only is she a good example because she's a single mother and she's still trying to get before the king, she's a good example because she knows her child. How do I know she knows her child? Look back with me at the text. Verse 21 says this. When I arose in the morning, this is the single mother still talking, to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. Here's how I know she knows him. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, it was not the child that I had born. She probably knew the scent of her child. She probably knew exactly what her child looked at. The Bible says she looked closely at him. She observed him. She probably knew what the voice of his cry sounded like, which means when the living child was crying across the room, she probably was like, that sounds like my child. And godly mothers, real mothers, know they baby. You know your child. You know his dysfunctions. You know his shortcomings. You know the things that he needs to do better in. You know what he's good at. And you press in to those areas. Real mothers know they child. I'll never forget when I I was a teenager and I got to the age that I could date. And I I started dating this young young, young girl. And I brought her over to the house for a cookout. And my mother was so nice to her. She was nice to me. She was making her food, asking her about her family, talking to her, and just engaging with her. I'm like, yeah, my mother loves her. This is great because I like her. And then the girl leaves, and my mother says, yeah, she's not the one. Yeah, you, you don't, you don't, you don't want to have her over the house again. She says some things that just did. Real mothers, like God puts a spiritual discernment in mothers. And that's why I be telling my boys, I be like, man, when your mother call you out on character issues, you need to listen because mothers know their child. This mother said, I looked closely at my child. And when I observed him, I noticed that this child isn't mine. But the problem in the in the text is the woman doesn't stop there. She says, I noticed that this isn't my child, but she continued to be persistent. Look at verse 22. It says, but the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours, but the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, the one says, this is my son that is alive. 
and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead and my son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king and the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other one. Verse 26. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. The king said, this is what I'm going to do. I can't figure y'all done went through all these different layers. Y'all done talked to all my people. Nobody can figure it out. So this one is brought before me. I can't figure it out. So this is what I'm going to do. Instead of giving one of you a living child, I'm going to give both of you half of a dead child. That's what I'm going to do. Give me a sword. I'm going to divide them in half. And that way you're going to get what you came for. You came for your child and you're going to get half of him. But what this shows us is really what I can show you in the text is that the word that sums up what we just read is sacrifice. Why? Because this woman sacrificed her own wants to make sure her child was okay. She sacrificed her own interests and her own desires to make sure that the child stayed alive. I wish I didn't have to say this, but that is the good example of a godly mother. And the reason that is is because you know how many mothers will pick other things over their children? You know how many mothers will pick that Louis Vuitton bag over paying tuition for their kid's school? Do you know how many mothers will pick drugs over their children? Let's do it this way. You know how many mothers picked a man over their son and over their daughter? And what we see in the text is this woman is willing. She wants her child, but she wants him living so much that she said, I don't want the divided child. I'll let her have the living child. This shows us an example of what it looks like to sacrifice. And that's what mothers do. They sacrifice their, that's why I said there's much of what you do as a mother that will go unnoticed because a lot of what you do is sacrificial. Nobody knows it. Nobody will ever know it. But God knows it. God sees it. Because in the text, the Bible shows us that the king does see it. Now look at verse 27. We'll end here. Here's what verse 27 says. Then the king answered and said, give her the living child. Give the living child to the first one and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. Do you see the graduation in the text? The woman started out in verse 16 being called a prostitute. By the time you get to verse 27, she's no longer called a prostitute. She's now called a mother. And what was interesting to me when I read this earlier this week I, is I was familiar with the story. I remember hearing the story as a kid, but I don't know who read it to me. But for some reason, I never knew she was a prostitute. When I was a kid, I always thought she was just a mother. I thought that she was just a wise mother that pushed her way. And the wisdom of the king said, this is what we're going to do. I never knew she was a prostitute. Why? Because what she does as a mother outweighs what she did as a prostitute. And so mothers, hear me, you may not have been a perfect mother. You may not have crossed every T and dotted every I. But what I see in the text is graduation past mistakes, past things that you've done wrong. You are able to be redeemed from anything that you have done wrong. Here's how. When you set it before the king. When you get it before the king, she's no longer called the prostitute. Now, here's what the king doesn't do. And here's what, if you've trusted in Jesus, here's what your king did. 
The king in the text doesn't die for this woman. He does not die for the prostitute. But the king of kings dies for your dysfunction. That mistake that you have made, he has died for it. Those that have prostitute-like mistakes, the king of kings, Jesus Christ, has went to a cross to die for it. And doesn't just stop there. Because if he just died for your sins, okay, I understand that. But when you stand before God, you need a righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees. And let me tell you something about the Pharisees. They will roll you up and smoke you when it comes to religion. They just will. You, I mean, you, wanted, you think that you are doing a good job because you got up at 6 o'clock this morning and prayed? You think you're doing a good job because you helped the old lady across the street? Let me tell you something about the Pharisees. They memorized the first five books of the Bible. Have you done that? Have you, like, most of us can't even get through that, you know, reading the Bible in a year plan. We get to Deuteronomy, and we like, nah, <laughs> Matthew, Done. But the Pharisees, the Bible says that your, your, your religion, your spirituality has to surpass them. And the only way it can surpass them is if you get a righteousness that is perfect. How do you get a righteousness that is perfect? Here's how. When Jesus dies, when the king of kings dies for your sin, he doesn't just take your sin, but he gives you that perfect righteousness. And now you get to stand before God as though you live like Jesus. And he stood before God as though he was condemned like you. In the text, the king says, divide the child. He was willing to kill the child. Really, it was wisdom. He probably wasn't going to do it. He probably wanted to see and see what the responses were. And the lady said, nah, nah, divide him. We both get it. He's like, nah, that's the mother right there because she has a heart. But he does not go so far as to die for the prostitute. Here's what I know. Your king has died for you.